Hi, kiddos. It's time again for Motley Fool Answers. I'm joined, as always, by Diana Yoakum and Robert Brokamp, personal finance experts here at The Motley Fool. And, uh, of course, I'm Allison Southwick. And I'm really excited about today's show. I know you Yay, are. Yay, today's show. <laughs> what gets you so excited about this topic? I am. I think this is, go- I think this is going to benefit a lot of people. Um, because maybe you, dear listener, have a guy. Or maybe you have a friend or a family member who has a guy. And maybe this guy is a broker or a financial advisor over at Edward Jones or Chaz Schwab. And maybe this guy, (laughs) who can also be a gal, has given you some financial advice that made you have a bad feeling in your tummy, in your tum-tum, but you just weren't confident enough to disagree. So today, we are going to arm you with the knowledge you need to recognize when you're getting bad financial advice. By the end of the show, you'll know the red flags to look out for, as well as our best piece of advice for making sure your money is in safe hands. Yeah? Yeah. That sounds great. It's exciting. I'm excited. Like I said, I'm excited. My tummy feels better already. When you were saying that, this vision came to mind. Show me on the doll where the man hurt you. And the kid points to the (laughs) wallet. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible. Horrible. All right. So who are we talking about when we're talking about my guy, the guy who gives me money advice? Because not all people offering financial advice are created equally, nor are they compensated in the same way. And in fact, just about anyone can put out a shingle and start doling out financial advice. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, these people are, can be called financial advisors, wealth managers, investment managers, financial planners, financial life coach, all these types of things. Um, and just about anyone can say that they are such a thing. There's no common terminology for a lot of these things. There are no laws around it. Um, so just because someone says they provide financial advice, it may not be that they actually provide financial advice. They might be just selling you something. They might be what's traditionally considered a broker or an agent. Um, in fact, in the insurance industry, the top salespeople are called producers. So if you read an industry magazine, he is a top producer. And by the way, you're probably the product. Right. I mean, they're just selling you <laughs> yeah. stuff. He is, he is producing a nice income for that company and exactly. himself. Yeah. Exactly. He is not a financial advisor. So... Um, one of the big distinctions then is to look for someone who has a specific designation. So, for example, certified financial planner, of which I am one. Um, they're, they're a handsome bunch, aren't yes, they? Yes, and, and believe it or not, <laughs> there are some standards to become become a CFP. Um, uh, chartered financial analyst, um, CPA, of course, taxes. These are people who have taken classes, passed exams, have earned the designation so you know that... Um, they can legally use it. Other people can't. And in fact, if, if people are using those designations and they do something wrong or unethical, they get kicked off and they're not allowed to do it anymore. I have a feeling that the, there are initials that I can put at the end of my name that make me look like I know what I'm talking about, but are actually bunky. Are there some? Like, are there some credentials where you should be like, no, that's not a real credential? Do you know? Uh, I'm sure, yes. If you made one up right now, absolutely. Um <laughs> We'll play the acronym game <laughs> during <go>. a break. <laughs> CPA chartered podcast awesome or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, and and there are tons of them uh, that really right, don't mean anything yeah. because all it means was it's sort of like remember in high school when you got the offer to be in uh, who's who among America's high school students, which means everyone got it, and it's because you spent. Wait, wait what? You didn't know about oh, wait, this. Oh, you didn't get invited. I mean, okay, maybe. <laughs> Maybe almost everyone did, but really, 
what they wanted you to do was send in $50 so you got the book. Seems sort of thing like some of these designations are, um, some company made them up, and they say, you, you can add chartered senior Wealth income life advisor, advisor. masseur. Here, here's your certificate of merit for being an adult survivor of parents. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so... Because there are so many different options out there, and someone can attach any number of different initials after their name to make them sound important, you want to look for a few good ones, CFP, CFA, CPA. Those are solid. Those are the majors, yeah. Those are solid. All right. Well, then, this isn't charity work, being a financial advisor. So how do they make money? Because that matters a lot. Oh, yeah. This is actually the number one question you should be asking someone a financial advisor, someone that you're considering hiring, is how do you get paid? Because behind the answer to that question means everything. It exposes what are their conflicts of interest? Do they have your best interest at heart? Uh, why are they pushing this product? Do they get paid more for it? So we should actually probably break down the ways advisors get paid. The traditional way, which you see in lots of industries, is by commissions. You do this, I'll pay you this amount for the work you've done. Wait, but who's the this in this conversation? So the this, uh, let me give you some examples. Yes. One-time sales rewards would go to someone who is selling you an annuity or maybe a cash value life insurance policy. So he sold you, he's selling me an annuity and his boss is going to kick him a little bonus or the company that is providing the annuity is going to kick him a little bonus. Yeah, and usually right. yeah, this is an upfront payment mm-hmm. here. Uh, another type of commission is ongoing annual service payments. So when you renew your insurance policy, your insurance provider gets paid a little kickback for that. Thank you very much for continuing doing business with us. And then the last one is commissions paid for transactions. And these are even simply things like how much you pay to buy and sell stocks when you're, you know, you're paying your, your, if you have a full service broker, here's how much trading fees are. Here's how much I'm going to to charge you for buying this lot of shares and selling this or the other thing. Right. So, probably not to jump the gun on red flags, but then if someone wanted to make a lot of money under this commission model, then he or she would put you in mutual funds that had very high fees, upfront loads. Mm-hmm. Um, they might sell you contract insurance contracts where you have to pay something every every month to keep it going, every year to keep yeah, it going. Yeah, or, or more insurance than or you actually need, than you need, higher commission. Or they might buy and sell stocks in your portfolio more than you need. They might mm-hmm. be churning. Yeah. Right. Hey, so. baby baby needs a new car. Here's a, here are a few you know high dollar accounts we can buy and sell and make some money just cause okay. yeah it sounds like like wringing a towel you just imagine like I just pictured wringing a towel and making it rain <laughs> it's a very nice an analogy I don't know if it is but all right what's the other way of making money well the other way is that so we, when you talk about commissions right so you're talking about insurance or something like that if I sell you a life insurance policy the company is going to pay me the commission the other way is for the client to be the person who actually pays it. Um, traditionally, this is called a fee only. So it can be done uh, one of three ways. One is I charge you a percent of the assets I'm managing, maybe 1%. I charge you an hourly, hourly fee, like a lawyer, $200 an hour, something like that, or by project. I'm just going to do a financial plan for you for $500. The good thing about this is I get paid the same way regardless of the advice I give you. You're not sitting there saying, is he recommending this life insurance policy? 
over this one because this one gives him a bigger commission. And that's the big problem with the financial service industry, the, the conflict of, of interests. With a fee-only planner, no matter what I recommend to you, I'm getting paid the same way, so there's no incentive for me to do anything other than give you the best advice possible. Also, generally speaking, these fee-only advisors are what are known as fiduciaries. Big fancy legal term, but you'd be surprised that um, if you go to a traditional broker, and frankly, it's, it's the folks that you probably most often think about, Merrill Lynch and those folks, they are not fiduciaries, which means they do not legally have to put your interests first. They only have to recommend something that is considered suitable. A fiduciary absolutely positively has to put your interests first. And if they don't, you have more legal recourses against them. So one of the things that I often recommend is if you're going to find a financial planner, get a fee-only planner. They're looking out for your best, best interests, not only in terms of the way they're paid, but legally they have to. I, I don't think we can overemphasize how important it, that fiduciary is, because it it really is the one thing you can look for that will differentiate these planners from those planners. Right. I, I think it's kind of... Um, when you think about the people where you pay a commission to, where where you don't pay them, they get paid by what they sell you versus paying a fee. It would be tempting to to if you didn't know more about it, like we are educating you, fair listeners. It would be tempting to be like, well, I'm going to go with the guy that I don't have to pay because I don't have to pay him a hundred bucks. He's you know whatever, right. and he's going to be right. oh that's so because it, it's that pain that you don't feel right now. Yeah as opposed to having to pay a fee to someone. So it's important that people understand that, yes, you are you are paying for advice, but you are paying for much better advice that is going to pay off in and, the future. And with the other guy, you are paying for advice. You're just paying for it in a way that's that's tacked on to the price of the product right. Right. you're buying right. or yeah. paying higher you know, commissions uh, for trades or something like that. That's a huge point. I mean, I've had people tell me, like, I'm not paying... The person, anything. I just gave them a hundred thousand dollars, and, and they put it in this life insurance policy. They're doing, and they're doing it for free. I mean, of course not. You just don't see it, and unfortunately, in many cases, when you don't see what you're paying, that means you're probably paying too much. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's like a bro's words to live by. I'm gonna put that on a bumper sticker. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the red flags because I feel like we've explained what we're talking about when we're talking about who you get financial advice from. So we've got what five red flags here to look out for, Diana. What's your first yeah. red flag? So you go to your guy or your gal, or your gal, or your gal, and they say, "I promise, I'm going to trounce the market, destroy the market. Yeah, I beat it. You, beat those returns. you are going to be so happy with your returns after you bring your money over to me." Well, sorry. No one can guarantee a hefty return on your money or even a specific return for certain things like. The, the stock market. They're buying you stocks. It, they're flat out lying to get your business. So, that is a big red flag, these outsides promises of what you're going to get. The problem with financial advisors is you can't check on it. They can say, oh yeah, my, my clients, I earn them 10% a I'm year. killing it. Killing it. But you don't know. They're not going to show you their clients' portfolios. They shouldn't. That's a privacy issue. You just kind of have to take their word for it. That's a problem. I was speaking with one of our colleagues and he met up with a high school friend Said, I can sell you an annuity and guarantee you 10% a year. Impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. So, our colleague here emailed back and forth challenging him and eventually 
pointed out, like, you, you cannot be saying this, and then didn't get a reply back. I mean, yes. And, and was unfriended it ceremoniously. Was, it was unfriended. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, so really, I mean, especially 10%. You're not going to get 10% guaranteed from anything. Yeah, yeah and to, not to bring up a, a an aside note, but a lot of times your guy or gal is a friend or a family member. Right. Which can make it, which can make this much more awkward of a situation because right. you want to trust them. Yeah. yeah. All right, Robert, what's your first red flag? Uh, it would be not knowing your entire financial picture without giving some advice. Um, so, if I go to someone and I say, you know, I want to save for retirement, what should I invest in? And they give me an investment, but they don't say, well, what do you have in your four hundred one k? What about your IRA? What does your wife have? What about your debt? What about your debt? Do you have an emergency fund? All these things. Right. There's all these different things that that should be looked at first. One of the reasons why they may not ask that question is if you go into a typical broker's office and you say, I inherited $100,000, I want to invest it, they're not going to ask about your 401k because they they can't earn a commission on that. So they don't care. And even if, if they did care, they can't earn money legally, so they're not going to ask about it. You want to go to, again, a fee-only advisor who is able to look at everything and make their recommendations in context of everything else you're doing. I'm sure there's a good doctor analogy here, like you're right. bleeding from the head, but you're like, oh, my <clears throat> finger hurts, and they ignore the head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I've got a headache, and they totally ignore right. that there's like a hammer sticking out of your skull. Right. Like, have some aspirin. There yeah. you go. You're welcome. Yeah, you know, in terms of debt, right, credit card debt, you don't earn a commission by help, helping someone get out of credit card debt. Right. So why would you even bother helping people do that? If that's the only way you make money. Yeah. All right, Diana, what's your next red flag? So, another sign something's not right is if you feel like you're being rushed into a decision or, or pressured to do something under a deadline. There is very little in financial planning that needs to be done on a tight deadline or is offered in limited quantities. If the opportunity is legit, it will be there tomorrow. So, do not, if you are being pressured to act quickly, I. I encourage you to quickly run out the door. Right. Or slowly. I agree with you, that. You don't have to quickly run. I mean, don't hurt yourself. Yeah. I mean, make sure. Yeah. Just take your time. Right. Don't trip and fall on that red flag and impale yourself. Just <laughs> give him the stink eye and slowly back out of the room. <laughs> I'm watching you. All right, Robert, what's your next one? Um, caginess about your performance. And this is after you've been with someone. I've looked at all kinds of account statements from all kinds of financial services professionals and from mutual fund companies. And some do a great job of saying, this is your performance, this is how it compares to the S&P 500 or a relevant bond index or international index. And they're pretty upfront about like, okay, we're beating it or we're not. Others are not so good about that. They make the returns kind of confusing. They don't make a fair comparison. And you want to, you want to hold someone accountable. You got to give someone two or three years, but say, listen, are, are you beating the benchmark that you said you would? Are you earning the returns that you said we could? Because if they're not, then you really should move on. But if they're if the statement isn't clear, if they're kind of cagey about the returns, something like that, that's a, that's a really bad sign. They should be able to answer that question within 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So this um, reminds me of a story about my mom. Hi, mom. And we went back to visit her for Christmas a couple of years back. And whenever she's around us, she's starts to think about investing and because we work at the Motley Fool. And she was like, oh, you know, I think I, I haven't talked to my my gal 
in a while. I wonder what's up with her, you know. So so she calls the woman's office, and it turns out the woman had retired years earlier <laughs> and never told her. And so I don't know. My mom was like, well, it wasn't a ton of money, but that doesn't <laughs> matter. Like, the woman who was supposed to be looking after your money, retired, never told you, hadn't spoken to you in years. And to be fair, it is somewhat on my mom that she did not follow up. But how often should someone have a sit-down talk with their their guy or gal? Well, I think you should, whether you have an advisor or not, you should review your performance once a year, for sure. Um, and if they, again, are, are looking at your entire financial situation, it should include investment performance. Are you still on track to retire? Um, are you saving for college? Like it should cover everything, um, but certainly keep people accountable once a year. Again, though, you got to give you got to give them three years or so. Every even the best investors have off years once or twice. Um, but if after three years, it's time to move yeah, on. Yeah, they're not if they're not at least keeping pace with the benchmarks right. that that have been set. Then. Yeah, and I will say you have to be fair to advisors. As an advisor in the past. People will say to me, I'll come in like, I want to beat the market, but I don't want to take any risk. Like, you can't, you can't have it both ways. Right. And I see those a lot recently after the last market downturn. Freak people out, tell their advisor, I want to play it safe. The market has since done well, and they're like, well, you've kept me too conservative. So, as a consumer, you do have to be fair. Like, you have to say, okay, this is what I asked you to do, and you're doing it. If you said, I want to play it safe, don't complain if you don't beat the market. All right, Diana, what's your last red flag? Bring us home. So, when you ask, Questions. When you ask this person questions, do you get answers in plain English? Do you understand the answers? You, red flag is if someone who acts so put out uh, to answer your your silly little questions or don't worry about that. I know what I'm doing. Pats you on the head and mm-hmm. says, "Now you go enjoy yeah. your life." Young that's lady. that's a bad sign. Also bad is somebody they might not even know right. what this thing is. So if they can't explain, if they can't do the cocktail napkin drawing to explain what this product is, then that's that's a bad sign because that's what you need to be able to do when you're looking at all of your stuff. You've got to be you've got to understand. Right. That's that's just generally a good piece of advice is that if someone can if you can't explain something to a fourth grader, then you probably don't understand it well yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's easy if you don't understand what your financial advisor is saying to you. I think it's easy for you to feel. Like it's because I'm too stupid. Right. It's because I don't understand. Yeah, you, too embarrassed to ask. Too embarrassed yeah. to yeah. ask. And um, you should not. This person is is totally up and going to be up in your business on your money business, and you should not be embarrassed to ask any question or ask for any clarification for as many times as you need to to talk about it to understand what it is. Right. Right. Go go find a fourth grader. And have your have your guy explain it to little Tommy. I brought a friend with me. Yes. <laughs> my friend has my, a few questions. This is my uh, other advisor. His name is Tommy. If you can keep him entertained, <laughs> but it's you and an iPod in this room. <laughs> you and an iPad. See what you can do. See if you can keep him entertained. All right, that covers it for our red flags. Let's just close with each of you your best piece of advice for our listeners. What do, what should they do now when it comes to managing that relationship with their person who gives them money advice? Um, I think actually it makes sense to have, we're all familiar with investment diversification, have money in stocks, bonds, and cash, or whatever. I think it actually makes sense to have advisor diversification. And oh, that, so my Tommy idea is not too far off. That's a great idea. <laughs> even even people, a lot of people here at Motley Fool are into handling their own finances. I don't think it's a bad idea to have a financial advisor handling some of it. Um, you don't want the same set of eyes on the basket that has all your eggs. It's not a bad idea to have one or two. 
um, especially if you are the person who handles most of the money decisions for your household and your spouse isn't really interested in it, um, what happens to you? It's good to have a trusted advisor who you've already been working with that that spouse can turn to at that time. Diana, what's your one I piece of advice? A, that's great advice. Uh, you sound surprised. Like, finally, that's, good advice. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Mark this day on the calendar. Gosh. <laughs> I might actually star this podcast. Mine's <laughs> um, sort of just a general thought to keep in mind. Remember that no one has your back, your best interests at heart more than you. So even if you have the most trusted advisor, as rated by XYZ Magazine, you must do your due diligence. It's on you to check their credentials. Right. And even if they are a fiduciary, it doesn't mean that they're not bad at their job. Right. Like they could be a fiduciary, but just be really bad. And people get, they get their credentials revoked all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you're not actively doing the management of the money, if, 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 you've, if you've got a guy or a gal doing that, you must stay engaged. You must be on top of it. Do pay attention to those statements. Do, uh, do compare how your investments are doing in relation to everything else that's available out there. And make sure you understand what you're doing. So, it, it's sorry, sorry, dear consumer. It, in the end, it is on you. But this is your money. This is your life. Take it, ownership of it. Right. Boom. Yeah. If you're paying someone to give you financial advice, you have to know enough to know whether you're getting good advice. Yeah. I mean, the financial to work here at the Motley Fool, you didn't have to give your fingerprints or get a criminal background check. You do if you want to work as a financial advisor or as a broker. Why is that? Because <laughs> history shows they don't always treat people well. So you have to know that when you're going out looking for a financial advisor, you have to be on your guard. You have to. You know that you're going to be working with people who have had criminal background checks and been fingerprinted for a reason. Which is why Robert is now working. At Which the is why pool. I can no longer work in the financial <laughs> services industry. We are joking about that. <laughs> all right, guys, that is going to do it for today, as far as all the good advice goes. So now we have armed you with hopefully some red flags to look out for, some confidence for you to tell if your guy is giving you good advice. And what if you need to break up with your financial advisor? Well, we're going to help. We we went ahead and we drafted some good breakup lines for you, and we asked some people at The Motley Fool to go ahead and read them for us to, to help you get inspired to break up with someone if the relationship is bad. So, uh, without further ado... Here's uh, Ellen Bowman, Tom Madigan, Mike Mulligan, Sarah Hub, and Sam Whitesides. Breaking up is hard to do. Hey, Bob, I just want to let you know that I've met someone else, someone who sees me not just as client number 033579A, but as a real person, a person with hopes and dreams and plans for the future. I'm more than a generic commission-generating client, so I'm leaving you for someone who can meet my financial needs and not yours. Goodbye, Bob. I feel like we're speaking different languages. Seriously, I don't understand what you're saying most of the time. And I don't think you do either. I'm just trying to figure some stuff out right now, like why you put me in the low-core, long-short commodities fund that cost me 5.75% upfront commission and 2.2 annual expenses. It's not you, it's your ROE. Look, Quinn, this whole control freak, buy this, sell that, don't ask questions thing isn't working for me anymore. I'm taking my money and I'm out of here. 
You'll be hearing from my discount broker with directions on rolling over my account shortly. Breaking up is hard to do. All right, guys. That'll do it for today. Keep the questions coming to answers at fool.com. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Stitchers. Pretty, pretty please. We love your feedback and um, your favorable ratings help us. Yeah, if you don't like us, don't follow this advice. Just go do something else right now. Oh, yeah. If you don't like us, just walk away and we'll pretend this never happened. Uh, today's kind words come to us from J High 11. He is not 11 years old. That's his name, J High 11. He says, It's perfect for me. I'm just an average working stiff, and this podcast is exactly what I needed for personal finance. They speak to the average American working for a living and investing in their 401k and IRAs. You don't have to listen to the Motley Fool Money Guys say Chipotle in every other sentence. Oh. <laughs> Take that, Chris Hill. That's because it's a company that they discuss a lot. They're not just hungry and love talking about burritos. Ooh, just so everyone knows that. I am hungry. Let's I am hungry too. Let's go to Chipotle. Let's start a podcast about Chipotle. Maybe it's a good idea. The show is edited by Rick Engdahl, music composed and performed by our own Diana. Keep the questions coming to answers at fool.com. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher because if it makes us laugh or it makes fun of other people, the Motley Fool will read it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> For Diana Yoakum and Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Fool on. Fool on.